Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> And I think really what Greg said, there's too much, too much of our politics is upstream of our theology. And I didn't, I didn't predict this going in, but reading some of the, the contributors and just thinking about it. And right now there's a serious overlap of Christian nationalism in our society and the conspiracy theory stuff. Often these things are kind of integrated. Hey, welcome faithful politics listeners and watchers on YouTube. If you're joining us via YouTube, this is Josh Bertram, your faithful host for Faithful Politics. And we have with us, of course, our ever ever political, faithfully political, Will Wright. Hi, Will. How are you? Hey, howdy ho. Good, good, good. Glad to hear it. And today we have with us Michael W. Austin, who is a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University and a senior fellow at the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute, and Gregory L. Bach, an assistant professor of philosophy and religion and program director for the Philosophy, Religion, and Asian Studies program at the University of Texas at Tyler, and we're going to be talking with them about a book that they have edited, uh, co-edited, called QAnon, Chaos, and the Cross. What a name. I'm looking forward to kind of digging in with that. But guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I got to ask you guys uh, first, how did you get roped in to doing this? And what is like, what do philosophy professors like how interested in you are are you in conspiracy theories and chaos and things like that just uh help me figure that out maybe we can start with you mike yeah you bet so actually another friend of mine a publisher had approached him about writing a book on it and so i said i was interested and then i started thinking about it i'm just like i can't write a whole book on this like i just there's just too much for me you know i i just can't do it um, don't have enough knowledge and expertise, but I thought it'd be it's an important topic. So, and Greg and I, I think it was soon after that we started talking and he's taught a class on this he can share about, but yeah, basically it comes from our, as Christian philosophers, seeing, um, some critical thinking lapses and then also just real damage that's done by this stuff uh, that can be done by it, both, you know, relationships, churches, even in society, politics, all that stuff. So we felt like, um, Rather than just me or the two of us writing something, we can get a bunch of different people from different fields and be more helpful resource for for others. Yeah, that's fascinating, Greg. What about you? How how did you uh, get into this, and what's your experience been like? Well, initially, this was years ago. Um, I've I've had friends who've believed in a lot of conspiracy theories, so had been having this ongoing conversation with people about conspiracy theories, uh, specifically Christian friends who believe these things, and so it's concerned me, uh, and it's just sent me down. When you when you ha- when you when you know people who believe stuff like that, it hits close to home and sends you down your own personal you know journey, searching out the answers to these things. And so, I started researching it, and then in my teaching, as as Mike mentioned. Um, I started to incorporate some of the cases, some of the conspiracy theories in my uh, critical thinking, in my logic classes, just to make it more interesting, but also for my own sake, because I wanted to work through it myself uh, on a semester by semester basis. So that's been really helpful. Yeah. So what's kind of, go ahead, Will. 
No, no I was going to say, so, so, so maybe we can just sort of set some ground. Um, I don't know, just, just have a baseline for what is a conspiracy? Uh, because, you know, I think one person's conspiracy is another person's truth. So, you know, um, I don't know who, who would be best um, able to, to handle well that. Well said, well, well said. Yeah, I'll start. I think we wanted a definition. Well, we didn't want a uniform definition that everybody used in the book. We wanted people to kind of come at it. But I think not all, but most of them, they're neutral, so to speak, about whether a, a particular conspiracy is true or not. Right. So there's usually when we say conspiracy theory in our culture right now, people think of like, well, just outlandish or crazy or whatever. But yeah. real conspiracies yeah. happen. Right. And so we don't we want to like, yeah, be sensitive to that because that's reality. Um, yeah. So I think. Yeah, I think a good one is it's it's a a group of people, usually small. All right. They're, they're doing something usually in secret right, to try to achieve some end, um, some goal of theirs. And I don't know, Greg's probably better at this definition. Um, maybe he can jump in and rescue me. <laughs> Go ahead, Greg. Well, I, w- I would say, a, a good. I mean, that's, yeah, like he said, there are many definitions proposed in the book, but I would say a good definition is one where you have an explanation of an event uh, in terms of a small group nefarious with nefarious intentions working in secret uh, against us. I think that's probably a pretty effective one. But there are chapters in the book that uh, use a more broad definition, not necessarily nefarious intentions. It could be good intentions, um, but not but when, when, when we use the term conspiracy theory, normally the connotation is something negative, right? But one of the chapters in the book is called yes. uh, All Christians Are Conspiracy Theorists. And one of the ideas he proposes in that chapter is that even the Trinity— is a, is a is a sort of conspiracy, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I got, love it. Got, I love it. Got you. You you definitely got my attention, and I want to. Uh, I definitely want to uh, follow up on that because it was it was one of the questions I have in my notes about you know why are all Christian conspiracy theorists? But I, I I do I do want to address one one thing that you put early on in the book that um you know you identified list of different types of conspiracy theories that are out there like you know 9-11 was an inside job or or i can't remember some of the other ones you had but but you had one that actually caught my caught my eye because i i follow the whole russia thing fairly fairly closely i mean i'm probably the only person on the planet that's or that's not in politics that i've read the whole like 434 some odd pages of the Mueller report and heard the horowitz report the senate intel committee report <laughs> so 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 you, you you mentioned that that the russia interference in the 2016 election is a conspiracy theory so i'm wondering if you can unpack that a little bit because in my in my um, I don't know, study, you know, reading of it, that there was some interference, you know, not necessarily collusion per se, but there is some some interference. And we don't have to spend the whole episode on this, but I just I just want to give get get sort of a point of clarification on, on that particular aspect. Mike, you want to take that one? No. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's actually just because I have it must have, must have been one of the contributors, you know, so, but I think that, look, it could have been a conspiracy. I don't, you know, I, you're, I'm not, I haven't read it. Um, I remember hearing about it a lot, you know, in the politics. And I think I, 
I got tired of it. So I'm not sure maybe one of the contributors mentioned it. I don't recall the chapter, but yeah, I think that that could be a conspiracy. And then that would pose a problem for, I mean, when you make the definition small, just a small group of people, that's not always the case, right? If, if that was going on, it was probably a larger group trying to influence our elections. And it does seem like, right, the things that were done on social media and those kind of things. So there was a concerted effort um, from memory, memory serves, yeah. So no, is it, it like it's, it's fine. is it like the idea of like um like Russia <clears throat> that because it was a like a smaller group of people trying to keep something hidden from a larger populace and under that definition Russia their interference would count as a conspiracy theory and I think one of the things that I mm. see that you guys even try to do within this book is to kind of help demystify uh, conspiracy theories to some extent like a conspiracy theory can it, it can be true like you said there have been true ones where people you know that's the whole thing like will said a, one person's conspiracy theory is another person's truth and so much of that has happened and things have come out you know one of my questions for you guys as as you've processed through this what has been kind of the biggest impact actually you know what dude i gotta go back to what you said greg about the trinity being a conspiracy <laughs> i'm sorry before i can go anywhere else i need you greg to explain what that means in your own words sure because no that is amazing it wasn't my argument. This wasn't my idea. Again, being the editor of a collection, you've got all <laughs> kinds of ideas in this book. Um, but the yes. author's point was that as, when we consider the definition of a conspiracy, it seems like the what the plans of our God is one of those would fit that definition. So you've got three persons. Because they're mysterious? They're, they're three, they're three persons. persons. There's a redemptive plan in history. I mean, this gets into theology, which is way outside of my area. But, you know, when you talk about these three people, you could say conspiring from all eternity to pull off this plan, right? In that sense, it doesn't fit the definition of ha having there be some nefarious intention, right? It, it right. would be a pot. I mean, as Christians, we would say this is, this is a good thing. Nevertheless, it does seem to be a secretive plan to some extent, and it, it, it awaits God's revelation for us to discover that. But then yeah, on the other hand, I mean, in, the same, in the same chapter, he, he gives a, a, another example where you've got in the Christian tradition the discussion of the devil and his minions. So there's another conspiracy. The devil's got this plan, <laughs> and he's working in secret to do whatever it is he does. And so that fits right. the definition. But that would be more fitting with the definition that I would think we would call a conspiracy theory because it has those negative connotations. And yes, they're, they're, it's a right. matter of perspective, sure. Um, but still, you've got to have some sort of nefarious intention in it. That makes, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, you know, Mike, did you want to add in something there? Well, yeah, I was just thinking about it because it, it sounds so weird to the ear, right? That God is, there's this, well, divine conspiracy, actually one of my favorite books by Dallas Willard, but um, it's kind of making <laughs> oh, yeah, that point is, about you're the, right, dude. <laughs> yeah. About the kingdom of God. And, um, but I, I, you know, sometimes we talk about good conspiracies. So um, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, part of a conspiracy to assassinate Hitler. And that was, you know, I mean, people argue about that, but, you you know, you can make a case that that was a in dire situations. Bonhoeffer thought that was, the, in some sense, what he ought to do. So, yeah, yeah. The, saying God's, yeah. that all Christians are conspiracy theorists, then it just, that kind of, without 
being explicit about the definition that could cause trouble. Because what we're trying to do is say we're concerned about these the bad kind of conspiracy theories or the false ones right. or the clearly false ones that that many people are buying into. And you know, part of our concern there was we're concerned about the witness of the church. Like if I'm telling my next door neighbor, you know, I believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, and also that Donald Trump is going to like get all the Democrat <laughs> enter- entertainment and, you know, elite pedophiles and break that open. You know, I'm undermining my lizard credibility. People. Don't forget the lizard people, yeah. Mike. Yeah. I somehow missed that until the last, you know, few months. Um, there's always new <laughs> we elements. We did a great interview. <laughs> we did a great interview with, um, what, what was his last name? It was a Rothschild, right? Mike, Mike Rothschild. Yeah. Mike Rothschild about QAnon and he like he is awesome. If you ever get a chance to talk to him or read his book, the, the what is it, the winter is coming or or the the storm is it's something like oh it's yeah something like that. The storm I totally that's a butchered thing. it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's yeah right. absolutely. it's not my book. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, but, yes, but, but you, absolutely. You, you know. On the on the same on the same kind of in the same vein because you guys uh, so the first the first word in your in your book is QAnon um, for those that have you know are coming into this new or have never heard of the concept or listened to our episode with uh, Mike Roth Rothschild about QAnon um, can you explain a little bit like like who or what is QAnon? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, the Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. Um, and yeah, so there's a 2017, I believe, this started. So someone identified as Q, who claims to have kind of some kind of security clearance. It's not the highest level, but decent level of security clearance. Started dropping these ideas and claims on 4chan you know, internet and then 8chan but basically the the big picture idea is that there are a group of uh, well just like child sex trafficking pedophiles democrats entertainment you know kind of a leader up people in the entertainment industry democrats media there's this big child sex trafficking ring they're all pedophiles and that that and then trump comes into the picture he's the one that's going to like he's secretly fighting against this um and there will be some, I think it's called the storm, which is when the truth will be revealed about all these people. And then the great awakening, well, when these people will be arrested and then the great awakening, I think it's called when everybody will see that Q was right all along. Um, and almost, and that can even lead into some of them. There's some kind of utopia that will follow in the U.S. after that. So that's the big picture. But now it's just this un- unwieldy. You know, all kinds of things can get traced to Q or QAnon and mutually contradictory claims. So it's just a, it's like this amorphous thing um, perpetrated through, you know, not just mouth, mouth, word of mouth, but more online, social media, all that stuff. And what makes that so, 
in my mind, I guess nefarious, maybe just because we said that earlier in the conversation, but what makes it so nefarious to me is that you can keep like, I mean, you can be totally anonymous and uh, people that have no clue what you think, you know, you can be posting these crazy things, right? Um, And people are believing it. And I don't know, like, how did you guys, how did you guys, like, when you were in the process of editing and process of working through all the material had material you had to work through to for this book. How did you like, how did that make you feel about the state of like Christianity in America? And we can start with you, Greg, how did that make you feel about Christianity in America? And then we'll move to you, Mike. What were you left with? Um, well, it's deeply concerning, right? I, I, I have a, and I've been in a part of evangelical Christianity since my faith journey started and um, identify strongly with it. Um, it's deeply concerning when, when it seems like two, two problems arise. We've, we've stopped thinking critically about claims that are made in society, like what you're talking about. And also, we're not thinking as biblically as we could be or should be. Um, so, so those are the concerns. Our, our hope with this book is that it provides a toolkit to help people in the church, really help them think through uh, these issues critically. And that's, you mentioned earlier, what, what a, why, why are philosophers getting involved in it? And this is exactly why, right? To think more carefully about what's going on, especially in the church. And this book is written by Christians for Christians. I mean, there are other books about conspiracy theories that I recommend as well, written to different audiences. But we're concerned particularly with it taking root in the church. So, yeah, it is concerning. Uh, we remain hopeful. That's why we wrote the book. But at the same time, yeah, disturbing. Man, I I, I understand. Well said. What about you, Mike? Yeah, it's just like. I guess kind of dumbfounded and depressing when you, because I had found some of the like survey or empirical data and then other contributor contributors did the same. So, you know, there was a Lifeway survey in 2021 that 49% of Protestant pastors said they frequently hear members of their congregation attribute, event, you know, things happening in the U S to conspiracy theories, 60% of evangelical Republicans think Antifa, or yeah, I think Antifa was behind, um, January 6th. And there's one more that was, that really bothered me. Yeah. That evangelicals really most likely group. Well, the evangelicals are the most likely group to believe that the COVID vaccine was designed to get microchips in us. So as one who's more skeptical of these things initially, but you know, my chapter is on humility. For me, the humility was I've got to try to meet these ideas and people where they're at and not just dismiss them. Um, as crazy or uneducated, which is, you know, what, what an arrogant academic might often do, or just anybody that hears some of these claims. But right. there, it looks like the, the data is there's not, there's if people, education level doesn't correspond with it, right? Highly educated people, low educated people, very intelligent people, not intelligent people. I mean, just all, yeah, there's no sort of wheelhouse for QAnon. All, it looks like all people are vulnerable. So yeah, it's really disheartening. Yes, but yeah, I think very there's this, anti-intellectualism in America is that that stream that's run through our history in many ways. And there's good things about it, right? Being, you know, independent thinker, but, but when it goes astray, um, 
where where we instead of thinking you know logically critically with our god-given gifts we kind of just go with gut feeling or let emotions draw us and emotions are good but you know there is well as actually dallas willard often said they're better they're good servants but terrible masters and i think that's right so (laughs) i do yes i do have hope though because i I mean things have happened like you know 50 years ago 60 years ago in any philosophy department in the united states or england they were arguing about whether or not the word god actually meant anything like things were so far that direction that if i said god it was like saying a meaning just like making a noise that made no sense Whereas since the 60s, there's been a real renaissance of Christians in philosophy to where you pick up any academic yeah, journal, yeah. there's an, there's something by a, you know, a Christian, um, and a Christian who takes their wow. faith seriously. So I, so that's wow. pretty incredible. I mean, you would have never... Very incredible. Yeah. So our hope is that there's, you know, people can, yeah, as Greg said, equip people to deal with this. And really what we want to do is equip people who know somebody who maybe is starting to get into this stuff or deeply in they, they've got ways to engage them me i know people <laughs> i know people that are already engaged yeah. in it and yeah. that's the thing right so the aim of the book right is to help to be a toolkit right now i would love for you guys to go into a little bit more of what you mean by that i'm assuming and we, greg we can start with you again i'm assuming a toolkit would be some kind of uh, like uh, intellectual tools that you can use, logic, things like that, um, you know, methods of logic that you can use to try to uh, critically assess things. Go, go into what, what are those tools? How do we, how do we use them? And, uh, and yeah, what, how do we think logically about things when we get our friend talking to us about lizard people? Yes, that's great. That, the book is made up of contributors from all different disciplines, um, writing from biblical studies, philosophy, and communication studies, histories even in there as well. So you've got all kinds of things that make up the tools in the toolkit. Um, but yes, epistemology, logic, critical thinking, that's all in there. Um, my my chapter is on anger. So I, I, I decided to take this opportunity to write. I have another research area on anger and forgiveness, so I wanted to bring the two together in this chapter. Mm. But I, I noticed that uh, conspiracy theories, look at the videos of January 6th. I mean, they, they seem pretty angry, right? So I, I'm concerned that, um, you know, how, how do we decide whether they've, you know, your anger, when your anger has crossed a line, I'm not just talking about people who believe conspiracy theories, but also people on the other side who are upset that there are people believing this stuff or talking about this stuff in church. So it seems like we've got an anger problem in the church, and that's what my chapter is meant to address. But for those of you who want um, more of the practical, like critical thinking stuff, we do have an appendix at the end of the book that lists a number of uh, logical fallacies and intellectual virtues in short form that can quickly be used as a reference just to guide somebody through uh, some of these tough issues. So talk to us a little bit real quick. Oh, sorry, Will. Go ahead. Oh, no. I, I was, I was, I was trying to just maybe get a point of clarification because, um, so, so the book has both of your names on it, but, but based on you know our conversation, it sounds like like different contributors kind of wrote different chapters of the book. Is that is that is that fair fair assessment? Yeah, that's right. So we each wrote a chapter, and then contributors that we got in touch with or the, they sent us ideas and then they wrote a chapter and then we gave feedback. So, yeah, so there might be, I mean, there are things, I would say there are things in the book I don't necessarily agree with. I'm not going to say which things, but 
but we think that's good because it's a mm. uh, that broader view. Um, and so, and two, we wanted people, you know, so there are people that in the book that are really like harsh against evangelicals and look, I, I identify as one and sort of, I mean, I would nitpick about it and say a classic evangelical, like a Wilberforce or some, or a John Stott, not, you know, this mm. sort of politicization of, of it in yes. our culture, but yes. But, but then, you know, then, but I think everybody's concerned about it and they take a different tack. And so, um, yeah, it's just, that's the idea. So then you bring the people with their expertise with feedback. I mean, yeah, our names are on it, but, um, it's cause we kind of put it together and, and helped refine the chapters, but each, each of the authors has their own voice. We didn't like censor or say, you can't say this or because we don't agree, uh, let them make their case and let people wade through it. That, that's great. And, and you know, I, w- I want to circle back to something that um, you said, Greg, earlier that that really resonated with me because um, so I'm I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I, I often say on the program that I, you know, I, I have spent more of my life as an atheist and I than I have a Christian. But, you know, in sort of my my Christian journey, um, I often get dismayed because I, I see the way that, you know, the faith that I follow is portrayed in the media or, you know, with events like January 6th or, or other things. And, and it really gets me frustrated because like in my mind, like, I feel like my faith is going to make me a better person, you know? So kind of as a result, like I would love it if other people had interest into my faith, but I don't, I don't blame them for not wanting to, follow my faith because of what they see, you know? I mean, I often get the, the questions like, hey, you're a Christian. Do you believe in X, Y, or Z? You know? And I'm like, no, like I'm I'm not the I'm not the storm the capital type of Christian. I'm more the grace and love type. Um <laughs> so, but I'm I'm curious on why you think um you know Christians, you know, are I don't know, fertile ground for a QAnon type of ideology to take root in. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't see a lot of, you know, people that follow Islam or Buddhists or Catholics or, um, you know, follow sort of this, this ideology. So, so do you have any thoughts on that, Greg? I'm totally with you, Will, on, on, on your concerns about the faith and, and what this is doing to the faith, right? Having to defend myself, um, in my own views, when people say, oh, you're a Christian, yeah, so you believe such and such. No, exactly not. Um, but uh, I think, um, yeah, what was your question again? Sorry. No, it, it was more focused on why why are Christians so gullible oh. um, about QAnon philosophy? Right. Well, this, is, this would just be speculation on my part, but I think it you can trace it back to just a larger problem of distrust in institutions in our society. Christians in particular, uh, my concern in the evangelical church is that we've associated the close association over the last few decades of evangelicalism and right-wing politics and the inability to distinguish the two. That's my concern. There's, I, I've got conservative friends. I, I consider myself somewhat conservative, moderate. Um, so there's nothing wrong, I think, with being a conservative, politically speaking, and being an evangelical Christian. But I think we have a problem of too closely identifying the two. And that's where I think part of this problem arises. Mm, got it. Uh, well, we, uh, do, 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 you, do you have any thoughts on, on, on that, Mike? I mean, also as a, as a believer, I'm, 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 ass, I'm assuming you probably do. 
Yeah. I mean, I think there is there is kind of a weird history in the U.S. I mean, I think the anti-intellectualism is part of it, that, that the church has followed the culture, right? And sort of these sort of gut level things, loving fear and anxiety, those kind of things. But I think, look, there's a history of sort of weird speculative thinking, especially in the, the more this kind of faith tradition. So think of like all the end time stuff from the 70s till today, right? That I remember reading you know what the apache helicopters of the like 1970s are like the locust and revelation i mean just these weird parallels people will do all the left behind stuff and um, there's just a lot of thinking that goes beyond or even against the evidence and then we're used to like and sometimes i think it's the individualism too like which there's a good thing we want authentic faith that comes that's genuine from our you know from our mind and our soul but then we kind of see ourselves as the ultimate judges of truth. And when I read the New Testament, pursuit of truth is mu- and wisdom, it's much more of a communal thing, not an individual thing. So just because I feel strongly that God told me to do X, I need my community to affirm or not affirm that. And just because I feel strongly that, you know, there are lizard people running around my town right now. I need my community to help me, you know, weigh the evidence. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got to just start doing the hard work of, Here's the arguments for, here are the arguments against, and let's weigh it out together. Knowing, I mean, as a philosopher, that's where I tend to go in re- first is the evidence and the arguments, because that's what we do. But knowing, too, humans, we're more than that. We're, we're emotional beings. We're, we're not just, you know, mental creatures or psychological. There's many facets and dimensions, so we, we want to address all that stuff. But, yeah, I think... And I think really what Greg said, there's too much, too much of our politics is upstream of our theology. And I didn't I didn't predict this going in, but reading some of the, st- the contributors and just thinking about it. And right now there's a serious overlap of Christian nationalism in our society and the conspiracy theory stuff. Often these things are kind of integrated. And so I think that's part of the problem as well. Um, and both of them, I would argue, and again, it's just me speculating, but from what others have said that know more about this, it is a human response, right? There's a f- fear. Um, and just to be candid, white conservative Christians in many ways still do and have had a lot of political and economic control over the centuries. And they see that in some ways going away. And so the church in America is not used to, we're used to being the church of the nation, not the church, you know, under an empire like Paul had to deal with. So I think a lot of that stuff's part of it. Um, And it's worth just asking ourselves some hard questions, um, whatever we, wherever we come down on this stuff. Yeah. Has, has any of your, your guys's research, um, you know, ever intersected with like the new apostolic reformation, uh, movement or, or have you guys ever heard of that term before? Yeah. A friend of mine, professor at Biola, I just retired, but he's got three books that he's co-written on that. And so I'm a little aware of it a little bit that there's that, that NAR or NAR, I can't remember how they say the, yeah, yeah, there's, there is the nationalism and conspiracy theory stuff. So he, he and I have been dialoguing some about that. Not everybody in it, but it looks like there's a big sort of overlap. You draw those Venn diagrams. There's a big chunk of those, including some of the leaders of that movement, from my understanding. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is. We've uh, we've had many conversations, several now. If you guys are interested, interested there's a professor named Andre Gagnier. Or something, <laughs> I always get it wrong. But he's what? What is it? It's probably do you Gagne. know well? Gagne. Gagne. Yeah. He's in Vancouver. Uh, 
No, Quebec. Mont- anyway, he, Montreal. He speaks French. That's why <laughs> I should remember all this. But anyway, that would be a great person to connect with. He was, mm-hmm. We have a uh, we, we did a uh, episode with him, so it was really cool. And you know, I want to dig in a little bit to your specific contributions and how you feel like they help us without giving away more than you want or whatever. You know, I don't want to give it all away. You know, too much. But, um, just what is like, what did you learn as you did your own research for your own article? And we can start with you, Greg, and, and then jump over to you, Mike, when you're done, Greg, but, uh, what, what did you learn about conspiracy theories and anger and how that relates to how we live in this political world of ours? Well, my research on anger goes back a few years, but I was expecting to probably find something a little more specific to conclude with regard to um, conspiracy theorists and the level of anger they have. But I found that anger is just a human problem. I mean, people believe things very strongly. And when you've got, like right. Mike was saying, fear wrapped up in it, then you, you, you get anger. And so I think what we saw on January 6th and other, in other situations is is just, you know, being traced back to this type of fear fear and anger. Um, but my concern in, in my chapter, and, I, and I'm hoping, and there are several chapters that, that uh, this theme comes out in, I'm hoping that part of the message is that uh, we Christians can't forget our the, the greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbor and love our enemies. So whether you're a conspiracy theorist or not, I think I, I'm concerned about division in the church. That's part of my chapter as well, that we need to respect one another when somebody comes along and sits next to us in the pew and starts spouting conspiracy theories, the first thing, the first response shouldn't be dismissal, right? It shouldn't be contempt. It should be, it should be as as the authors say in, in the first chapter, is to listen and and to express praise for what they, they've got right. Like, oh, you're really concerned about our nation or whatever it is that you're really concerned about. Good for you. Mm. And then the third response is to press in, is to probe. Is to start asking questions. Where I, where I find most of the non-conspiracy theorists in the church that are my friends, their their response is often just dismissal. It's like contempt. I don't I don't want to talk to those people, right? I, that's not respect. That's not love. And so I'm hoping that part of the message that comes out in this book is is to really encourage us to to mm. reconcile in the church over these things and and treat each other with respect and press in and try to get this conversation going. I know that's going to be hard with some people on both sides. At the, at the same time, I think there's hope in that. So you felt like, just real quick, you felt like, Greg, that the anger that you saw with conspiracy theorists, those who believe something very strongly, like politically, um, or like something that could be defined as a conspiracy, that was not any different than any of the anger that might drive anyone else's political views? Is that kind of a fair way to say it? Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, there's lots of people. You you can hold strong political views without being angry, but you can find people who hold mainstream views politically and are angry, right? Yes, yes, you definitely can. I think I've met a few, just a couple though. That's it. Mike, what about you, man? Humility. What what did you learn about humility and conspiracy theories? <laughs> that conspiracy yeah, theorists aren't very on... humble. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as I said earlier, so are the, a lot of the skeptics about these things have that, you know, it's another, it's like Greg said, it's a human problem. Humility is a difficult thing. I've been working 
Wow, man, for 15 years now, writing and researching it as a virtue and then as a more particular Christian virtue. But I think what struck me is that, you know, I wanted to write something I knew well, I knew about well, well, can't talk today. I don't know what it is. Need more coffee. But, you know, knew a lot about and applied to this. And so what I came up with is the it is a failure of humility often because we we're fallible right? As human beings and including our, as knowers, right? As people who are trying to come to know things, we are fallible. And I think a lot of times with conspiracy theories, and it goes into other things outside of conspiracies, conspiracy theories, just our quest for knowledge, we're, we're not comfortable with our human limits, right? And that, you know, when, it, when that's why you can't just quote, you know, what people say, quote, unquote, do your own research. Well, yeah, you can do your own research, but if time after time when I do my research, I'm coming, I'm landing on some conspiracy theory, or if I'm landing against the consensus or even the like broad consensus of experts in whatever realm I'm doing my research, that's a red flag, especially if those conclusions are always things that are, line up with what I already believe politically or theologically, right? So that there's evidence that there's an issue going there. And I just think we're not, we just need to say, I don't know more than we do, being willing to suspend judgment about things. Now, I'm not saying never believe anything, but, you know, an acquaintance of mine was kind of thought a lot about the conspiracy stuff with the 2020 election, would send me videos and things like that. And so I, I, I began with like sort of Greg's attitude, not dismissing him because this person was a friend. I'm just like, there's, I just, there's no way. Right. But then I, I watched a couple of them and then I did some of the, you know, look at explanations and I thought they're really good explanations dismissing this stuff. And look, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that people have quoted, you know, God will lead us into all truth. Well, that's, yeah, but not, I don't think all means, you know, the context he's talking about, you know, the spirit guiding us into truth and the kingdom of God. I mean, I could claim God wants to lead me to the knowledge of what's the most fundamental thing in the universe, right? Is it atoms, strings, quarks? And I mean, all, it's not going to happen, right? I can spend the rest of my life reading about high-level physics. I'm not going to come to know it. It's beyond my ability. Or So I, I just think we have to be comfortable with those limits. And I think, too, it's an issue of the, the humility led me to think it's, it can sometimes be an issue of faith, right? There's uncertainty, distrust in institutions, political instability, power shifts in our in our society, economic changes where, you know, it's not like a couple of generations ago where you could graduate high school, get a job in the factory, get a pension, be set for life. Things are just more difficult. And so we, we want to get control back. But part of the humility is realizing we don't have control, right? We can't, you know, there are things we can't control in life. So to me, it came to that where it's like, got to be comfortable with our human limits and entrust ourselves to God. Humility leads to faith and ultimately to to loving God and loving our neighbors is the idea. And I think that I mean, look, gossip and slander, right? Those are still sins in the Bible. And so if we just jump on, whether it's claims about Hillary Clinton or Tom Hanks or, my, you know, my next door neighbor, whatever it is, the, the conspiracy theories can lead us to to those things. And that's that's something that's concerning. And in the church as well, right? I can slander or gossip about my the guy that sits next to me that's a QAnon enthusiast, right? So, yeah, that's that was the gist. Yeah, I'm 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 curious on your on your thoughts, um, Mike, about about trust because you you sort of alluded a little bit to it in your in your comment just now. Um, but it seems as if you know the the biggest issue that 
Christians, especially the Christians that are kind of predisposed to believe in conspiracy theories is, is trust. So whether it's, you know, vaccinations or results of the 2020 election, you know, no amount of information or facts will instill the level of trust to change their thinking. So, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, like how, how do we, how do we solve that? Like, how do we break through this barrier um, that people have where, where facts and information just don't, don't really uh, affect how they think. Yeah, that's, and that's so difficult. And that's, that's part of the, you know, the problem we have in our, in our nation right now, that lack of trust. I think I want to really, one thing I'd want to center on with people and I have these conversations would be about publicly available evidence, right? So not just trust me, but like, you know, I mean, if we're, if we're going to be in a society where there's the rule of law, then that should be that publicly available evidence is going to be important, whether it's about the election or whatever. And I, yeah, just, it's tough. You got to go on a case by case basis on these issues. Right. And so if it's someone you've got a relationship with, I might say, all right, so give me your best argument that the, you know, that the vaccines are ineffective or there's something bad about them or the 2020, whatever it is. And then, and then I'll do the same and we can discuss it and I can go point by point. I think sometimes if we actually, and this is kind of what Craig's alluded to earlier, I've found whether it's online or in person, if I just relate to someone in a non-confrontational way, if I, if I can, if I can, the Holy Spirit can sort of generate some genuine, compassionate curiosity in me, people. And then I, and I, instead of looking at ourselves like face to face, we're opposed to each other. Someone's going to win this argument. We're at more like side by side, shoulder to shoulder, looking together, trying to figure out what's true together. I think that can help. But yeah, as far as reestablishing trust, that's a difficult one because our institutions, I mean, they do fail us, right? They're imperfect. They're fallen. And so, but man, they sure, they, I mean, compared to a lot of places in the planet, they do a pretty good job. Like, I'm not worried about my, you know, I'm fortunate because there are people in the U.S. that aren't like that, but I'm not worried about my physical security or my health today. So I'm very fortunate. Um and we need to make that the case for everybody in our country. Can I answer that question too? Yeah, yeah, please do. I, I think the responsibility is two-sided. I think it's it's on us, it's on the people in the church to be more careful thinkers, to cultivate these intellectual virtues we've been talking about. Um, but I also think it's on the side of the institutions as well. I, I watched a TED Talk uh, a while back by the philosopher Nora O'Neill, and it's probably still up that you probably look it up. But um, she she's. Uh, it was it was it was addressed. It was titled trust or or distrust or something like that, and her conclusion wasn't that we need to be more careful thinkers. Her conclusion was that the institutions need to garner more trust, need to prove their trust to to us, and that that struck me as an important part that we often leave out. Wow. We often we just we just blindly well we don't not necessarily blindly but we trust the institutions because we've been a, we understand that many of us are on the inside of those those institutions. We see how they work. We know they're not perfect, um, but at the same time. They could be more transparent. There are ways in which our institutions have let us down. And so I think we need to, we can take this as a learning opportunity and, and reform our institutions. That's the one side. At the same time, we need to work in the church and with our friends and family and talk about, like, how, how do we think carefully about these things? This is where I think Christian philosophers, philosophers in general, can be a, a great help in the classroom or in society, helping us think more carefully about things, thinking critically about the claims that are being made. Yeah, I I think th those are those are really really good uh, tips that I hope more people would would uh, would consider. I mean, I know for for my own personal journey. So you know, our our, 
our podcast is intentionally um, set up where I'm sort of the token liberal progressive and Josh is the token pastor conservative. Um, and under normal circumstances, like him and I probably would never really be friends or talk to each other. Uh, but, but like in my, in my experience talking to people that differ, um, you know, in thought, philosophy, faith, um, I found that, you know, this is going to sound like a very pastor, pastorly sort of like phrase, but you can't have revelation without relationship. So, um, you know, establishing kind of like just that friendship with people that, and asking them, questions that are non-threatening or accusatorial about the things that they believe, um, you know, really plays a, plays a big part in at least sort of my journey as a Christian and trying to, trying to better understand where, where people are coming from. But, uh, but go, go, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, no, I, I love that. It's really well said, Will. And, um, the kind of both of the things that you guys have even been talking about, anger and, Humility have such a huge part of how we interact with our neighbors, our loved ones. Um, and it's amazing to me, the more angry I get, the less humble I am. <laughs> and uh, there's definitely this correlation I find um, that my humility tends to go out the door when I'm gearing up in anger or I feel like I'm being attacked or... So what I would love, like, and, and again, like we can uh, start with Greg, start with you, Greg, jump over to Mike. Um, when you're like, okay, here's a scenario. Someone comes up to me, you, like you're, like you said, your friend or, or I'll tell you about it. Uh, yeah. They said, I, I believe in lizard people. Well, let's not get that extreme. I think that there's a pedophilic ring. I know that's extreme, but but let's let's believe there's a pedophilic ring that's being hidden, and I believe that. And I and I also believe that they're that they're creating concentration camps to put conservatives in. Um, that's what Biden's doing. That's what Obama started, and now Biden is picking up where Obama left off. These are things I've heard. And so they're making these, you know, concentration camps and they're in they're in Wisconsin where you can't see anything and nobody, nobody like in the wilderness and nobody's going to be able to find you or whatever. So these kinds of things have happened in the past. That's why I went from lizard people to this. These kind of p things have happened in the past, right? There's been secret police. I'm reading a book right now. Uh, um, that's talking about Chile in in the eighties and seventies under under Pinochet. I get, I don't know how to say Pinochet. I don't know how to say his name, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I just totally butchered it. But he was this general, and they used torture to keep their citizens, like so many of them, in line. And the church, you know, didn't take a big stand at first, and then it did, and all. And there's this fight. So my point is that these kinds of things happen, you know, they happen, but someone, my neighbor is saying it to me, Greg, how do I, how do I approach that conversation? And he's very convinced. And it's my friend. He's very convinced. He's like, you don't know about this. 
What, what, yeah. what, how do I respond? Good. I'll, I'll do the first step and maybe Mike can step in. But the first step I think is to attend to the friendship. I think you probably already know where the conversation is going. Maybe you've already had a conversation like this in the past with this friend. Um, but attend to the friendship because you don't want, and, and maybe you've got history, right? Maybe this has turned into a debate where you've walked away from one another angry or you're resentful towards how that went. You, you want your friend to know that you love him. Right. You want that. That should be your goal. A, a friend of mine told me once when you enter into a debate with somebody, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be like to win the debate. That shouldn't be your goal. Your your goal as a Christian should be to to love that person and to communicate that love to that person. So if I get into a conversation with one of my friends who believe these things and I, I sense it's already getting heated, I'm going to stop. I'm going to back up and say, you know what, um, friend, if if. Uh, I probably we're not, we may not agree at the end of the day or the end of this conversation, but you know I care about you, right? And that really helps dissolve the tension. That really helps bring us back to reality. And usually, what's that? It, I mean, if this is a good friend, they're going, "Oh yeah, of course, yeah, no problem, of course." I I feel that way. And then you can proceed in a very fun conversation. I mean, you can be open minded and humble, and you can search out the evidence. And, and all that that entails. But first, you got to have the foundation right. You got to attend to that. Mike, did you want to add to that? That's so good. Attend to the friendship. Step number one. Mike, what's step number two? Yeah, I think step number two then would be we've already alluded to asking just why. So what are you know what what is what's led you to believe this? What are, what's some of the evidence you have? Those kind of things. And yeah, just let let that person, let your friend make their case. Um, Without, and you know, the temptation might be jump in and try to refute every single point, but just is that where let them lay it out. Comes in, you suspend. Yeah, judgment. humility. Is that where? Yeah, for sure. There's a humility there. There's a, a patience there, right? That you know, because I we just want to jump in and say our stuff, right? That's just <laughs> even in non-controversial things, right? Especially if it feels right? ridiculous, right? Especially if it well, feels yeah. ridiculous, we just want to. Like we had to bite our tongue kind of thing. So in the bite the tongue conversations, you let them lay it out. That's what you do. And then, yeah. and then what? Because you love that person. Because you care about that yeah. person, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. That's right. That's an act of yeah. humility. So then I think you might, you know, there are a couple of different chapters give some different processes to do this. But I think a good next step would be asking and then asking some questions, right? Um, like, you know, about the sources or about, you know, maybe even ask them instead of you giving an argument, ask them, like, what's the best sort of counter argument to this stuff that you've heard? Like, let make them kind of step into the other side a little bit. Um, and then if I if I had information, I might say, well, here's can I just share one thing? I think that's a that's a problem with what you've said, you know, rather than just a barrage. Like so in that one key point and then, you know, maybe ask to continue the conversation so maybe you know, say look some of the stuff i've heard of some i haven't i'd like to go you know look at some of the things that you have shared and then maybe i'd like to share some things that i've found with you and kind of make if there's not a mutuality of like if they're not willing to listen to what you have to say or read something that you asked them to read and you're doing that for them yeah i'm not sure where you go from there except for maybe tabling it for a while until you know, and maybe praying that God would enable that kind of conversation to happen. Because I, do, for me, some of these experiences, and these aren't really the friends, there's others on, on some issues, including this, when I can tell that there's not really a good faith, hey, let's work on this together, 
then it does seem kind of like a waste of time. Doesn't mean I cut them off, but I just put a put a pin in this discussion and maybe try to revisit it at a later time. Right. That's that's brilliant. I love that. Greg, is there anything you'd add on top of that? No, I think I think you've got to remain open minded. The one of the things I've learned through doing this project is uh, it's not so simple. There, like some conspiracy theories, as we've talked about, turn out to be true. Watergate's the standard example, right? So they're they're yeah. not all they're not all false. I mean, we're concerned with false ones in the book, but uh, sometimes when somebody brings something up, and you you have a temptation just to dismiss it because it sounds like oh, just another conspiracy theory. Well, when you're open-minded and you press into the evidence, you might actually find there's something to it. Yeah. And, and at a minimum, I think you can figure out that it just helps you become a better discerner of people, an understander of people. I know that's kind of a weird way to say it, but you you, you better learn how to just... You know, because people feel things for a reason. They believe things for a reason. It's not out of a vacuum. They're they're believing this because something happened or something convinced them or, you know, or someone they knew in the past, um, you know, was this way and, and they got hurt and they never wanted to do that again. So they have their reasons. It's very logical from their viewpoint, but it's like exposing. It's like it's like accepting it and then for what it is and then gently like prodding and almost exposing the other person's unwillingness to listen if they are unwilling to listen like if you will read something they ask you to read say hey would you mind reading this and they won't do it i think the more it, it, it kind of just exposes like oh wow i'm not very willing to listen to anyone else's viewpoint so i think these kind of conversations are super important that we need to keep pushing in and having even though they're really hard they're really hard. You know, to end out, Mike, and we'll start with you, but this is kind of the last question you can incorporate. I think you were just about to say something. You can incorporate that into it. Uh, that'd be awesome. Um, but, uh, and you could probably easily do it into this question, is what's the lesson? What If you were to boil it down to one or two lessons from your work that you would want to share with an audience that we have that's fairly wide. You know, we have... Um, Liberals and conservatives, atheists, Christians, I mean, people of different religions, Muslims, um, Hindus, people just all, all over a global audience. So what would you, what, what is the lesson that you would want to say? Yeah, so I think the thing I was thinking of with that, the, when you're having a discussion with somebody, I think a good question to ask after you've made some, after you've had a series of conversations might be, to ask that person, what's, what's one thing that would actually, that would make you change your mind about this, right? Because take QAnon, there've been predictions that have not happened, you know, things like that. And, you know, turn that back on me as, as a Christian, right? What if, if it was like proven beyond a shadow of doubt, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Well, that's, that's the linchpin of my faith. Right. And so that would be something, but I, but I think that question is a good one to ask uh, get, again, getting people to think critically and me as well. Yeah, the big picture lesson I think for for that broad of an audience is that this stuff, like this stuff, is more prevalent. Like even if you don't know anybody, there's a lot of evidence that a lot of a significant number of Americans, both religious, especially, but also non-religious, or maybe they're just kind of religious nominally, but not really practicing, believe this stuff, and then like they're living their lives, they're spending a lot of time on it, and so I think most of us, you know. 
Christians, we've got the golden rule of your neighbors, you know, as you love yourself. Um, you can find similar teachings in world religions and just, you just want to be like a decent human being who is, doesn't believe in God, right? Caring for other people is just a basic human uh, moral value. So for me, it's like the lesson is let's let that guide how we deal, not with just the issues, but the people that we're interacting with about them. Because then a lot of the the anger, the vitriol, the polarization, it goes away. And we start like actually connecting with other human beings in our lives. Um, then I think that's, that can be really valuable and helpful. That's so good. That's so good. Greg, what about you? Yeah, I think the polarization is a big concern at the wider society as a whole. We're so polarized right now. We're not talking to one another. We're we're hunkering down in our bunkers and we're just voting. <laughs> we're just voting how we want the other person to behave. We're coercing the other side, right? Mail and voting. I, voting by mail. Right, by mail That's from our bunkers. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just unhealthy. I think it's not good for our society. We need to be in dialogue. There needs to be an increased amount of civil discourse in our society. We've lost those values, those virtues. So that's, as as a whole, I think that's the concern. In the church, I'm concerned about division in the church. I'm concerned about um, how how we're loving one another in the church. And I think that's hopefully is communicated through this book and ways to, we can do that better. Mm. That's so good. Well, thank you so much, both Greg yeah, and Mike, thank guys. You. Thank you for coming on. And the book is QAnon, Chaos and the Cross. You can get it wherever books are sold. I assume, at least in America. <laughs> I mean, you can get it on Amazon, you know, um, so anyone else uh, that can get that. So, um, guys, we really appreciate it. If anyone wanted to follow you, are you guys on Twitter? Or what do you have any anything you'd want to share along those lines? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Michael W. Austin. And then I've got a website with that as well. I've got some of my other stuff. So if people want to connect there, that's probably the best way. I don't have much of a social media presence. Sorry. Maybe I'll have to change that soon. But. <laughs> oh, maybe okay. maybe Greg's wiser than the rest of us. <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> We're happier. We'll take that. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's good. Well, thank you so much, guys. And yeah, thank you. Uh, we'll see you next time. And until then, God bless. Thank you for having us. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks, guys. Absolutely.